Off Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. Video games, a hot topic in the world of unschooling and for any parent who is considering letting their kid have a lot more freedom and personal responsibility in their life. Because the number one thing that a lot of kids want to do is go play video games. And I loved video games. I loved computer games, card games, board games, everything when I was a kid. And so I'm no stranger to this. And there's a lot of concern and anxiety about what unrestricted video game use does to a young person, how they develop, opportunities they might miss out on because they're just playing video games all day. And so today I bring you Xander McSwan, who was raised unschooled starting in fifth grade and had completely unrestricted video game time. Just got to spend every day and every night playing video games. And we get to talk to Xander about how that was a good thing and the benefits that come from gaming, how it sometimes was a bad thing or something that that needed adjustment, and how this all ties into the philosophy of unschooling. It's a really great conversation. And if you have any interest in games, gaming, if you love them for yourself or you have kids who are into them, this is an interview that you need to hear from the beginning to the end. Without further ado, here's Xander. My guest today is Xander McSwan, a 19-year-old grown unschooler currently living in Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Xander. Yeah, thanks for for having me, Blake. I'm really excited to be here and talk about video games and, and other related things. Yeah, I love the topic because games and video games were such an important part in my young life, and I know they were in yours, and I know that you've had some kind of evolving views on the subject. And it's also a big item of concern for new homeschooling and unschooling parents or anyone who gives their kid a little bit more freedom because often the number one thing that kids want to do is play games. For sure. And, yeah, and it's a total source of anxiety because because uh, of reasons we'll get into. So yeah. let, let's just jump into your history. How were you raised? How were you educated? And then how did games uh, flow into that? Yeah, so I was... Um unschooled growing up and it's a still a very active part of my life I, I really am so delighted to be a junior staff at Apicto School Camp and I'm teaching at an alternative education school here in Portland um, and I, I'm just in love with unschooling philosophy and um, give give workshops and talks on it sometimes and um, really incorporate it into my life as an activist because I'm a full-time activist as my occupation and the, um, the philosophy of intrinsic motivation and um, sort of the power of choice and passion is a, is a, has a big role in the way I try to affect the world and make it a better place for everyone else. And mm-hmm. um, so going into sort of my, my history growing up, I, I left school in, uh, in the fifth grade. So I was in public school until that point. Um, and then yeah, dropped out and pretty much right away started unschooling. Um, supported by your parents? Is this something that they had in mind already? Yeah. So I, I had kind of a funny um, relationship there where most people are um, a desperate teenager trying to convince their parents uh, to unschool them so they can be relieved of sort of the, the a lot of the pains that come with school. And my case was sort of the opposite in that my parents found out about unschooling and thought it was awesome and really wanted it for my siblings and I. Hmm. Uh, so I was... Uh, you know, of the type of mind, I like to say that that does really well in school. Whereas, I think the majority of 
brain types are, are less served. Um, where, you know, I think it's also fair to say that I may have like passed on tests, but wasn't really growing and learning from the experience of school the way I was able to in unschooling. Um, and what was so, the yeah, precipitating was, factor in fifth grade that, that lead you to actually leave school, even though you were successful in school? There was, there was this, um, well, it was, it was a series of things. And I, and I think that, um, the majority of it was, uh, my, my sister who has a much more, um, sort of artistic, creative way of thinking, um, really struggled in school and, and was just really, you know, I think it's fair to say traumatized and abused by the experiences that school left her with, how she would come home just like horribly sad and, and like lose a little bit more of that sparkle in her eye every day at school. And, um, you see that so often, especially with the really artistic and naturally creative kids that the doing repetitive tasks and, and not having really creative outlets or emotional support really can be draining for them. So, so that was a big part of my parents' decision to unschool all of us. And um, when I dropped out, the one sort of like event, in which I think it's kind of funny now, but there was one night where it was actually Halloween, which is coming up pretty soon here. And um, I told my parents that I had to stay home on Halloween because I needed to finish my homework. Um, and that to them was just like the, the most, the saddest thing you could hear <laughs> a kid say. Um, and, uh, and so they, they, after that, like I had one more week of school to say goodbye to my friends and then we, we dropped out from there. Oh, they, they insisted. They said, you know what, if you're going to be ruining things like Halloween with homework, then you are no longer going to school, Xander. Right. I'm pretty sure. They did at some point ask my consent, but it was a really easy yes for me. Yeah, um, like sure. being able to stay home and do whatever I want sounded great. Um, <laughs> and, and even growing up as in school, my parents were pretty flexible with it. We would often take like extended vacations and take days off from school. And um, so we had a little bit more freedom than the typical school kid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so what was life like after you dropped out? Yeah. So I was, uh, in a big way, one of those kids that did nothing but play video games. Um, my, my brother as well. I, had, I have two siblings, a sister and a brother. And um, my brother and I would play video games together. We'd play with our cousins and our friends. And it was sort of the center point of what we did and, and uh, how we engaged. And I look forward to talking more about that as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Just before we move on to that, I'm curious, how into games were you before you left school? Um, I mean, I was definitely like a little bit, I think partly there was, there was a curve just in my like age and, and how, like how much complexity I could, I could handle in a game. So like before I was in, in school, sorry, before, while I was in school, uh, that was confusing, but when I was still in school, (laughs) I, uh, did play games, but not very complex games. And so I didn't get the same sort of like intellectual, reward and sort of meaning and satisfaction out of them and so I I didn't play them as much and then once I left school I both had a lot of time and um, had just by that time like grown a little bit more intellectually sort Mm -hmm. of passively from getting older and um, was able to really dive in to more and more complex and stimulating games. Got it. So name some names here for people who are 
into gaming? What were some of your all-time favorite games? And were they all video games, or were they other types of games, too? There were other types of games also. I would say the majority were video games. Um, my biggest one when I was right at that age where I left school was World of Warcraft. Um, that was a huge one. Um, and, and for those who don't know World of Warcraft, can you just give us the quick explanation of what type of game it is and what makes it so special? Sure, sure. So World of Warcraft is um, a, a really large um, scale, uh, what they call an MMO, or a, or a massively multiplayer online game. So there's just tons of people who have like an avatar representing them in the game. And this particular game, World of Warcraft, is sort of a high fantasy um, role-playing game where you create this character who's a warrior or a mage or a paladin and you um, go through the world doing quests, trying to help people and um, slaying evildoers, all that, all that kind of thing. And um, <laughs> Unless you are one of the evildoers yourself, in which right, case you, you can, in, in, the in good fact, guys. be a, an evildoer. And, um, but part of the magic of the game of World of Warcraft specifically is um, that it's a really social experience because so much of the game is so, uh, around connecting with the huge population of other players playing. Um, like being in a, in a guild is what they call it in World of Warcraft, where you have this big group of players that sort of join together in a, a sort of a long-term committed way and play together regularly. And there's also sort of casual, spontaneous groupings of like you, you're out in the world and you find some other players around you and you guys team up to fight this one really big uh, boss, they call it, which is like a, a high-level enemy. Mm. So that's, that's right. a little bit of a synopsis of Warcraft. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, and I know that was a, a massively popular game in that time period. Yeah, I would guess that most people who are thinking about video games would, would know the name. Cool. So what else were you into? Um, I, I really, for me, my favorite genre was within that sort of high fantasy role playing. And so uh, another series that I loved so much was the Elder Scrolls game. So things like Oblivion and Skyrim is pretty popular, uh, more a little bit more recognized. Um, and that was a game similar to World of Warcraft, but single player. Um, so it was just you in the world, and um, there was this sort of huge depth of creativity in your character development. And you could be really anything you wanted to be, especially in Oblivion. And um, I really loved sort of, and I'll get, talk more about this as we go, but... Um, I loved the idea of being able to um, create from scratch this whole persona, this whole person, and then like sort of put yourself into that person's reality and then just go through the world um, making decisions as that person. So, so part of it is like I'm a warrior and so I uh, you know fight in this way. But there's also this other level in games like that, which is where the role-playing comes in where not only is my character a warrior he's also um a nord which are these uh like nordic uh, similar to so, um real world culture like nordic people um and they also have these values of like just really honorable people and they're really tradition focused um they're, mm -hmm. they're stubborn um and so going through the world like playing out those traits and sort of putting my own spin on like what this character's life was and and trying to feel the the emotions of like that character's life and how they're responding to the intense things happening in the mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. 
And just the the stage of development that young people are in when they get into these games, and it sounds like the stage that you are in, you know, is one of actively trying out different personas and, and showing different faces to the world and kind of comparing different value systems and, and, and ways to interact with people. Uh, yeah. It's, it's essentially figuring out who you are and, and why you should be that way. And, and so that's, totally. that's interesting that, that this game and these types of games were, were a, a way, a, a pretty low risk kind of way to try on these different faces, these different ways of, of being in the world. Definitely. And, and it's also not only low risk, but it also gives you this amazing opportunity to um, go in and create from this sort of like set template, um, which just makes it really easy to create a diversity of different basic character ideas. And then to go and really quickly um, get into like pushing the very edges of what happens to that persona. Like how does that that persona respond in like really intense situations where we don't often experience those in our, in our sort of, uh, you know, our typical lives, um, at least as frequently. So you sort of get to really play the, the, and stretch the, the bounds of like what this persona does and, and how it handles things. Um, so that was cool. And that was a really amazing experience to have as, um, as a person in that developmental yeah. age, like you said. And Xander, you mentioned that some of these games were online social games. Some of them were single-player games. You also said earlier that you played with your siblings or other family members, you know, your friends. Sure, um, yeah. What kind of games did you play with, with other people live with you? Um, well, one of them was, was World of Warcraft because I was so supportive for live playing. I also played... Um, the sort of like Xbox shooter games like uh, like Halo and Call of Duty. That was a, co- a popular one with my friends because um, it was sort of like really fast paced and um, you needed to be uh, like really focused and um, have like really, really quick split second decisions and like be really precise in your actions. And um, so it sort of called forth this really elevated uh, state of, of awareness and being. I was really into those exact sorts of games, specifically Quake 2. And oh, I, yeah. This is back when I had to drag my actual desktop tower over to my friend's place or to the local gaming shop, and then we would physically you know, plug in Ethernet cables oh, yeah. into our router and have LAN parties. Because that's the only way you could get the response time, that, you know, the ping time to be low enough so that when you're jumping around and trying to shoot other players, uh, you know, you weren't kind of destroyed by the lag time that's on on the internet. But yeah. I remember having such intense experiences and such that's joyful experiences at those land parties. And for sure. And yeah. And for someone who is never into team sports in real life, being on a, a team uh, and battling against other teams, uh, it was such, you know, I, I felt what, you know, how people talk about, you know, football or soccer or these other transcendent team sport experiences. That was pretty much the only time that I felt that. Uh, so that was a big one for me. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting kind of connected to that is I have, I had this friend growing up uh, named Dustin and we were really close and we would play video games together almost every day. Um, and we sort of developed this, this just incredible like synergetic way of connecting with each other where like within video games, we would always be on the same page and like subconsciously 
helping each other and working as a team. And then what surprised me is like now, years later, when um when I go and hang out with them and we like cook in the kitchen together or something, we have just this incredible relationship with each other where we like know the ins and outs of like how the other person makes split second decisions. Um, and so we like we like pass the knife to each other without looking and like the other person knows to grab it right then. And there's just sort of this like really subtle connection of like how our, our brains are melded. Um, and it's such a satisfying thing and it feels like a, such a high level of connection and it feels so good. And I'm sure if intruders invaded the kitchen at that oh, yeah, moment, we, we'd be ready. You'd be ready. You'd be ready to defend it. Um, all right. Any other games that are worth mentioning? Ones that were really pivotal, uh, excuse me, pivotal in your young life? Let me think. One, the other, only other one that comes to mind is um, a game called Dota 2. Um, well, I guess there's, there's, there's two more. So that's one, Dota 2, um, which is just a really high-intensity team game and one that I really get a lot of that sort of team sport feel from. That's one where uh, there's five players to a team and it's long, like 45-minute, hour-long games. Uh, and they're, they're online, so every player is a real person. And um, what's cool about that game is to succeed, you need to sort of fulfill a variety of roles. So, so one person's a support player whereas one person is what we call the carry player. So you sort of um, devote a lot of resources to that person so that they can uh, mm. exponentially grow and uh, be really effective in the later stage of the game. Mm -hmm. And then there's like mid players who uh, aren't super dependent on resources and try to be high impact in the early stage of the game. And you have to all kind of work in cohesion um, on a varying level of strategy to play to get to succeed. And I find that really me. satisfying. Yeah, that reminds me of, of Half-Life Team Fortress Classic. Totally. Where each player needs to take a very distinct role, and really a team cannot win unless uh, a lot of these different roles are represented. You can't have everyone be taking the same role. You'll just get steamrolled. Totally. Um, great. What was the other game? The other game, uh, just to sort of break up the, uh, the video game thing, I also really loved playing um, uh, role-playing games that were not in video, so we'd play like Dungeons and Dragons once in a while, um, but more often we would play sort of a our own version of that, where we would just talk out the scenarios and maybe use dice um, and play in that way. Um, so that was that was really big too. It's sort of another, um, excuse me, extra sort of creative room for development role playing game where we could try out different characters and personas. <laughs> also, a major factor in my gaming life. And I have to ask, Sander, did you get into the card game Magic the Gathering? That, strangely, no. Um, wow. That was one of, one of the very few things that I didn't ever dive into. I started briefly. I had a, like a deck, like a goblin deck, where I would just <laughs> make a whole bunch of goblins and try and fight somebody. But um, yeah, so I, I just, one of the few that I never got super into. There was one um, that I guess I think of as sort of similar, though really it isn't, called um, Warhammer 40k. Oh yeah, which was yeah. the like tabletop strategy game where you get the um, little figurines. Yep, you, you have the little them. figurines. You paint them. Painting was one of my favorite parts. Um, but then Definitely. there's also like the really high level strategy of um, going through these complex scenarios and yeah. trying to outwit your opponent. It's um, like being a, a general planning out every move and your totally. attack or your defense. 
yeah, I, I played all those games, and and I would like to formally apologize to my parents on the air here for all of the the harassment I gave them to to force me to to force them to buy these various things like decks of Magic the Gathering cards <laughs> or Warhammer 40k little figurines that yeah. cost you know twenty dollars each. I, Warhammer was insanely Mom, Dad, expensive. Mom, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was great. It was so much fun. Um, and one one kind of fun thing about Warhammer, just like a quick side note, is that I, I later, um, after I had, uh, I'll talk more about this in the later stages of the talk, maybe, but there was a certain point where I stopped playing video games so much. And after that point, there was a while where I was um, volunteering for this guy who was um, an ex, uh, I think he was a, either a general, or he, he was a high-level sort of commanding position in the Navy, and he had retired. And he was running this... Um, program where he would lead uh like kids in strategy games um so he would bring a different strategy game every week and you'd play them and um my my experiences in like warhammer and video games they were really different um like brought me up to a really high level um of being able to like think strategically um and participate in those games and and help with those kids i think that also applies to sort of strategic thinking just in how we go about life. But um, So you're saying you have a future if you want it in the military or in perhaps corporate takeovers, uh, you know, <laughs> high-level uh, financing? Yeah, that, that probably wouldn't be the direction I would take it in um, personally. But but yeah, there's there's room for that. <laughs> I just I want to kind of like draw some quick notes to how the skills we develop in video games are really real. Um, yes. And and they really go into the real world in a very tangible way. Yes, yeah, we're headed in that direction of video games in the real world. Uh, how did your parents feel about this? And uh, and did your parents truly give you the unrestricted total freedom of an unschooling family to to dictate how you spend your days? Um, there was a little bit of of progression, which I think is common. Um. At first, when me and my brother started out playing video games, they they were uncomfortable with it. Um, thought it was too much time. Um, they didn't really see the value, um, and and uh, had read a lot of the articles that so many parents have of how like video games increase violence in kids and um, things like that. And um, so for a while, we, it would be restricted that we would have like parental controls on our games that would automatically shut off at 8 o'clock and uh, we wouldn't be able to play anymore. Um, and that was really frustrating for us as, as a gamer. Um, um, so there was eventually um, this sort of shift. My, my parents were um, are academically really into unschooling. They were both education professors and uh, linguistics professors. And um, eventually got into sort of the reading of, uh, I think the one book that's a favorite of theirs is one called Killing Monsters, um, talking about how games sort of create this space for kids to like engage with their fears and sort of build up uh, emotional resiliency in a, in a safe and supported way. And um, so this, eventually they sort of came around to it and got into it and would, would give us more unrestricted time. But there was a little bit of a curve to that. And so later on in your 
your unschooling time, you got to just play whatever games you wanted for any amount of time. Uh, were there any restrictions like like bedtimes? Like if you were up at 3 a.m. playing a game, did your parents say, all right, Xander, time to shut it down? No, my parents were passionately anti-bedtime, which I loved. <laughs> <laughs> you know, feel like you got you turned into a sleep-deprived zombie or, you know, no. missed out on things like hiking? It was great. And well, well I mean, I, I did go on hikes, you know, once in a while and what was the beauty of that, as in so many things with unschooling, is I had the opportunity to sort of explore the reality of those consequences myself um, and and see what happens if I stay up all night and sleep all day. And, you know, sometimes that's great. And that's what serves me. And that's what's in my passion to do. And I'm getting the most intellectual growth I can out of living in that way. And, and sometimes my priorities are such that um, it makes more sense for me to to be awake during the day. And so I got to feel that out on my own and see what worked for me. And, and now um, I usually tend towards being awake in the day and sleeping um, during the night. And and that works well for me. But I, but I really love that I had the space um, for my mm-hmm. parents to, to make that decision on my own and to explore sort of the realities of that um, at my own pace and in my own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that point about being able to experience the consequences because I think a lot of people see unschooling as some form of negligent parenting or, uh, you know, the, the lack of enforcement of any sort of boundaries whatsoever. But but life has boundaries and sleep is a human necessity. And if you don't experience that boundary, if you're sort of always prevented from doing that that thing, like pulling the all-nighter, it just remains this this shiny glowing magical thing that you know if you don't do it when you're living at your parents house then if you go off to college or when you start living on your own you'll try doing it then probably probably when you need to be awake uh to actually be working or studying more than you do as you know somebody who's under age 18 uh so i love that point yeah one of the one of the thing i want to sort of bring up around that there's this story that i love to my, my my family loves and um i hesitate talking about it these days because I've gotten more into sort of animal rights activism, but the story is about a seri- uh, an experiment done on monkeys. Um, and basically there was uh, a, a group of monkeys in a, um, a tank and there was a, a banana uh, uh, in, the, in the tank also. And if any of the monkeys were to reach for the banana, they would get sprayed with a water bottle. And so they quickly learned to not reach for the banana because it just wasn't worth it. Um, and then the the interesting part of the experiment was that they would slowly um, take out one of the monkeys and put a new one in and the other monkeys would communicate to the new one don't touch the banana you know bad stuff happens when you touch the banana and they would they would continue to do that until eventually all of the monkeys were replaced with new ones and they all knew that they shouldn't touch the banana because something bad will happen but none of them knew what that was Mm. so as a community just because of the the way of sort of progression, and I think of it as sort of the um, the effect of of tradition and and like uh, fears grounded in sort of a, a a blind faith rather than sort of direct experience that they they just lived in fear of what would happen if they touched the banana, um, and and none of them did, and none of them experienced it, and so I think in a lot of ways we have similar experiences to that. Um, I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that, but, um, 
but just to draw a few examples, we live in this sort of this blind fear of of being awake too much at night and sleeping in. We think something terrible is going to happen. Um, where probably that comes from like, you know, people having to get up early to work on the farm and it being a, a big deal to stay up late because they won't get enough sleep. But th- that might not be as relevant to a teenager playing video games. And so it's sort of this this cultural belief that that's a bad thing to do that we've reaffirmed through generations, but doesn't necessarily, I mean, it could have relevance. And some of those cultural, uh, traditional ideas definitely do and are so valuable and so important. Um, but a lot of them, are, I think, are worth rethinking and, and worth, uh, and you could definitely say all of them are worth thinking about at least, and some of them, you know, remaking and some of them not. Um, yeah, so I, I would... I would push back a little bit on the the sleep one just because I think that's physiological and there's a lot sure, of, yeah, of actual I, evidence for like, you know, people perform better when they sleep. Um, but I agree with you uh, in the broader sense and especially regarding video games and the the sort of knee-jerk reaction that so many people, so many parents have to to video games and, and looking at them in the same way that we look at, at TV or or internet consumption as just automatically some sort of of waste of time. It's something for children, something that should be highly restricted. And, and where did this idea come from? You right. Know, it's, you know, it, some other monkey, you know, <laughs> told us, <laughs> even though there, there's no clear spray bottle. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Xander, let's, uh, let's move on. And I want to hear about the progression. Maybe you can just give me a quick overview uh, of your love for video games and how much time you invested in them. So just sort of fast forward from when you started on schooling after dropping out in fifth grade through, uh, through today. Great. Cool. Um, so, so yeah, there was this, this huge period of my life where I, I was in love with video games and it was uh, a huge part of what I did. I did other things also. I was really into music and, um, art, but, but video games was a, a big staple and a big center point of how I spent my time. And um, I think I've touched on a few of the things that I that I gained from it already, but a lot of it was that experience of character development and um, the really social aspect of being able to uh, team build and have conflict resolution within my conversations with my teammates. Um, and uh, one other thing that was really big about it, which kind of ties into the whole character building aspect, is... Um, there was a certain point when I was, I think, like 17 or 18, and I'd been video gaming for a long time, where um, I started to sort of see that um, two things. So I, 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 there was sort of a, a building ideology within me of what I sort of think about as the accessibility of heroism. So, so in video games... All you had to do was go around the world and ask anybody you saw if they needed help. And they might say, yeah, I need help. Go deliver this letter to somebody, you know, across town. Or they might say, oh, my God, there's goblins attacking my farm. Please help me. Um, <laughs> there's a whole, whole variety of things. But um, that sort of was a, was a building progression, which I'll t- touch back on in a second. Um, and then there was this other uh, component where... I was playing a video game, and in, in Skyrim and the Elder Scrolls games, there's this incredible, uh, 
layer of them where there's there's huge um, natural landscapes in the games and they have living plants and and one of the things you can do in the game is be an herbalist and uh, an alchemist and so you can go around the world uh, adventuring and traveling and finding these rare plants and understanding sort of the way ecosystems are laid out and where you're more likely to find certain ones and um, pick the plants you need to make the potion you want. Um, and I remember at one point I was doing that and I like looked out my window and I saw I was living in rural Maryland at the time and I saw the like the hillside covered in trees and covered in, in bushes and flowers and this huge variety of diverse plants and systems. And it sort of dawned on me, like, wow, I could just as easily be doing this um, outside. You know, I could be, I could be getting the same result of going and exploring ecosystems uh, in in the real world. And there was sort of this this realization where, like, I had developed so much from video games, and I had learned so much. And there was sort of this this point that I hit where. Um, I didn't necessarily want or need the safety net of, that the video game provided anymore. I wanted to sort of put the character for myself that I had built to test in the real world and not be able to like load a save and not be able to go back <laughs> and, and change things. Um, I wanted to see what happened if I, if I made it real and, and sort of go to that next level of exploration. Which is reality. Yeah, um, for sure. And um, so, so I went out and I did that. And, and that year, I went on this crazy adventure where I, I road tripped across the crunchy and worked on a permaculture project in the desert, um, building an oasis. And I, was, I traveled solo in Thailand. I went backpacking out there for like three months. Um, I went on a cross-country bicycle trip for about a thousand miles. Um, and yeah, just like there was this explosion of like, wow, I can be the hero that I've been um, mm. pretending to be mm. for uh, for all these years. When you were in Thailand, did you save anyone's village from a goblin attack? No, but um, what I and yeah, I wanted to get back to this the sort of accessibility of heroism. So there's different. Um, Within the games, there were different ways you could help people, and most of them were really grounded in violence. But um, what what I took out of it personally was that everybody needs help, and and everybody needs a hero. And there's mm-hmm. nothing stopping me from going out and and helping the world however I can. So no, when I was in Thailand, I didn't save a village from goblins. But when I was in Thailand, I helped old Thai farmers get the water they needed every day. And I helped them work on their farms and get their crops in ways that they like couldn't do easily. And I helped ecosystems to to replenish themselves by working on permaculture and planting trees. You know, I went around and I helped inspire people that they could get out and move by being on a bicycle tour cross country and telling my story and, and saying how they could do this and giving pep talks and making sure people knew how valuable their life was. Um, mm. And so there's different ways of helping people. And it doesn't have to be violence. But what I learned from video games, and one of the biggest things I learned from video games, was that I can be that, that hero. And all I have to do is go out and try. And there's, there's nothing stopping me.
I think this is a fascinating point, Xander, and one that's almost never brought up. I, I don't remember ever hearing this point being brought up, which is that even though from the outside, a lot of these games we play are violence-based. They are, uh, you know, join a team and, and go kill something. Uh, you know, with a cursory look, it looks like it's just sort of crude tribalism mm-hmm. uh, being played out in an online sphere uh, or with pen and paper through a role-playing game. Yeah. Um, you're right. There is this big reward to being a, a hero. And, it, you know, it's a very simple model of human behavior. It's sort of like the superhero model. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of good that can come out of that also. And, and I agree with you. A lot of what you are prompted to do in these games fundamentally is to help other people. Yeah. You, know, you go on quests and missions for some sort of greater good. I remember my all-time favorite video game, Final Fantasy VI or oh, Final yeah. Fantasy III in the U.S., uh, that's what the whole game was about. It's it's a quest to defeat evil and and promote good and help your friends, help your your allies, and even with the the really violent shooter games, as you said before, it's about becoming part of a team. In the same way that I imagine going through, you know, going into the actual military, you know, people walk away with this incredible sense of of teamwork and camaraderie and and supporting other people and being supported. Um, so anyways, that's a really great point about heroism. And and I'm curious, to what extent, this is a hard question to answer, you know, yourself. But I'll do my best. Ext- yeah, to what extent do you think this heroism was actually instilled in you from playing games? And how much of this was just you, your personality, beforehand? You're right. It's a hard question to answer myself. Um, I think a lot of it was playing games. Um I think there was a little bit of a dynamic in my just my family where um, growing up, a lot of my my siblings and parents, my my grandparents, also weren't um, really physically able, and and so I was really used to growing up like sort of jumping up and helping people with things because they they needed it. Um, so that was a component also. Um, and, and it is interesting that it doesn't seem like everybody has the same experience of, of learning heroism from video games. And I, I'd mm-hmm. love to learn more about what makes that that difference. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my personal opinion on it, I think that I, I find resonates with me, is that there is this difference between um, engaging with video games as an unschooler and having your passion in it and having your total freedom of expression to dive with your full self into that video game and play and learn. And and that's different from playing video games as someone who goes to school, who is coming home like exhausted and, and just mentally at the edge and um, Mm. coming to video games as a way to shut down Mm. and not have to think and just, just stop and, and sort of let their brains rest at least for a few hours before they have to go back to homework. Um, sure. Perhaps an analogy here is when you turn on the TV or you put on a movie, you know, there are many ways you can just mindlessly watch TV shows or movies. And then there are many ways that TV shows and movies can be highly educational and engaging and lead you to new areas of interest. 
um, it, it all depends upon the intention that you bring and the level of energy, as you're describing, that you can bring uh, to, to paying attention. Yeah, this is, this is a point I really love to bring up when talking to like new and nervous unschooling parents who see their kids going into it. And part of it is what we, I often call in, in unschooling the de-schooling process where you come home and often for some kids it can be as much as like six months or a year where you're just resting and just recuperating from the experience of school. And a lot of that is time spent in that really shut down um, state of watching movies and video games and, uh, and TV. And, um, but inevitably, this thing happens, which you've had sort of freedom to rest and engage on your own terms, where um, you, you, you bloom and you expand. Um, and you start to engage with whatever it is you're doing in this really beautiful way. And for some people, that means stepping away from the screen and getting really into cooking or glass blowing or, or painting. Um, or mathematics. For some people, it means staying with the screen. Um, and it means, if you're watching movies, getting falling in love with film and, and learning the nuances of different um, like visual shots and, and sound effects and, and how the actors are, are working and, and then exploring into that on your own. And I know a lot of unschoolers who are in the getting more and more into the world of film and um, and exploring that, and a lot of unschoolers who uh, do the same thing with video games and take it in um, a direction where they are seeing the art of creating a video game and get into video game design and coding. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, which that's, is, I think a cool thing to think about. Yeah, and sometimes that argument gets taken a little bit out of proportion, and we sort of expect every unschooler who loves video games to become a video game designer, uh, which is not the reality, of course. Right. And uh, I think one important point there is there's a lot of different ways, like you're not ever really sure looking from the outside what exactly within that video game is the thing that that kid is in love with. Mm. Like for me, I wasn't in love with the art of creating a video game. Like that's, that's a really cool thing, but it's not what I really want to do. I was in love with being a hero. Mm. Um, and so I learned from video games something really different than what someone else might learn. And what you're prompting me to think of right now is something that I took away from some of my favorite games, which is this sense of unplanned adventure. Yeah. And I think it flowed into the way I like to travel and not have everything planned out, but have it be sort of like a role-playing game where you're running into new characters and situations and it's like choose your own adventure. Those situations dictate the next path that you're going to take. And it's it's a way to keep things interesting and keep your curiosity um, instead of having everything so delicately planned out for your entire trip. Yeah, that was a huge uh, thing for me as well. That, that kind of realization where, wow, in these games, I have nothing but the strength of my character, uh, meaning like, you know, my my intellectual and emotional developments and perhaps physical strength, that that's a key thing. And and like the stuff on, in my backpack. And that's all I need to go and... Uh, do as much good as I can for the world. Why should that be different for reality? Mm. And so I, I put a backpack on and I went to Thailand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it sounds like you had really similar experiences. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a, a really valuable thing, I think. It's hard to parse these things out. You know, hard hard to know what influences in our childhood led to which developments in adulthood. Sure. Uh, so we're we're both grasping at straws here. Um, 
Okay, Xander, what else do you think were the major benefits, the major positives for you and for people you've seen, your your friends, your you know, people in your community who are into video games? Uh, especially, what do you think are the, the benefits that are unheralded and that, are, that go unnoticed often? You've mentioned a few already. Uh, I feel like I've mentioned the ones that are, that are really important to me. Um, but there's certainly, there's certainly others. And like I was saying, everyone gets a different thing out of it. Um, to maybe elaborate more on the story of like the sort of the coder path. I have a cousin who was an unschooler and, uh, he pretty much did nothing but, but play video games. Um, and when he was about 13, something like that, maybe 12, um, he had started to get really into video games and um, he hadn't really fully learned to read yet. And um, that was just one kind of mind blowing thing that you can engage in adventure uh, in something like a video game and have so much fun without necessarily having to read. And um, uh, But the part of the story that I want to get to is that um, he was in love with sort of the aesthetics and the beauty of the video game and sort of that whole direction. And he was at a friend's birthday party one, one day and, and one of the friend's uh, dad was a, a video game designer and, and 3D model person and got into a conversation with Josh, and uh, who's my cousin, and, and Josh loved it. And uh, the dad offered him like a burned copy of their 3D modeling software and uh, Josh took it home and uh, locked himself in his room and from like having not been able to like really read or of not having done it really um, a week later he came out of his room having read this entire super super technical um, manual on how to use this 3D modeling software <laughs> uh, which, is, which is a story I hear over and over again of yeah. people who go uh quite a while in their lives as an unschooler without learning how to read and um, uh, have just these sort of like things fall into place over time but never really have their passion engaged. And um, then some, some criteria is met where their, their, their passion lights up and it ignites for them and, um, and it just takes like a few days yeah. and they're, and they're they able have, to read. They have a reason all of a sudden. All right. And what about the the potential downsides of video games? I'm curious what you saw and experienced both for yourself and in other people. Sure. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to say is that, um, as I started to allude to earlier, there did come a time in my life where video games stopped serving me. And um, after I sort of broke out of... I had that realization that I could do this in the real world in reality and went out adventuring. Um, there were a couple times where I sort of like came back and mostly for nostalgia's sake, wanted to try video games again. Um, but there were sort of two things that happened. One was that um, I had experienced sort of the like incredible joy of of getting to do this in reality and getting to be my true self. And, um, you know, I had had the experiences of growth from video games where I was able to develop myself to a point where I couldn't really capture the, the self that I had that I loved so much in a video game character. And I, and I couldn't really 
do things than the video game anymore that gave me the same level of satisfaction of trying to be really authentic to who I am um, in the real world. So they sort of stopped having that same luster that they did before. Um, and the other component there is that um, as I got more into reality, more into myself and exploring my philosophy and ethics, I, I personally got really into nonviolence as part of uh, my activism and, and part of the way I helped people in the world. And um, so when I did go into video games, I had this combination of like knowing that I could be the, the hero that I was trying to be in the real world. And that, that if I did it in video games, I could also be a hero, but usually I would have to do so by being violent. And, um, and that didn't resonate with me. Hmm. So, um, so I just found that I could be truer to myself and more authentic by, by participating in reality. And uh, go ahead, somebody, if you want to say something. Yeah, a lot of parents have concerns that playing violent video games will make you more violent. Uh, I'm curious whether you ever had, you know, ever experienced that, if you ever felt kind of impulses to to get into a fight with someone or to use a weapon after playing all these violent video games. I would say no, um, but there there is something that I see from sort of the perspective of uh, a past video gamer and someone who's friends with a lot of gamers and kind of empathizes um, that um, I, in my personal opinion, I, I think might be what so many people are perceiving and noticing, uh, which isn't so much that like the act of pretending to be violent in the video game increases violence in reality. I mean, I think that's possible. You know, maybe if if you're sort of someone who um, sees the violence and, and just is like, wow, this is a great solution. Um, I should just be violent in real life. And uh, I don't think that's the common experience people have in video games. What I see more commonly is that it's it's for those those people who are coming to video games as a way of shutting down. Mm. Um, where, where video games are sort of an emotional crux um, at a certain point and, and a level of addiction um, that isn't super healthy. Where it's things like um, they, they're so overwhelmed by, by the reality of, of, of their real life world, whether it's like school is too intense or like there's so many problems in the world, I can't handle it um, or whatever it might be. Uh, they're coming to video games as a way to, to turn off reality. Hmm. And um, for those people, when, when you go up and say to them, Hey, you're playing too many video games. I want you to come and, have dinner with us and stop. They might snap at you. They might they might chew you out and yell because that like video game is the only thing that, um, or to them it, it feels like their only way of of being stable. You know, of feeling like like sane and competent and able to engage in a positive way. Mm. Mm. Um, and this is something you observed in in your friends who played games. Yeah, and I think to myself too a little bit. Like if if there were times, even as an unschooler, where I had experienced really intrinsically motivated, um, empowered video game play where there would be just a spell of depression where like something really bad would happen or I would be overwhelmed and video games became a way of um, turning away from that. And so I, I sort of see it similarly to, um, 
I just think of it as any kind of addiction. Like it could, it could be the same with drugs or alcohol, um, or with food. Um, you know, repeat, we have these like things that we turn to for emotional support and, and it's just this, uh, process of, uh, when, when we're sort of forced to confront reality, not our, not our own terms, and we're sort of separated from that emotional support that we've developed this expectation that we have to get it. And we've sort of, um, created uh, like a chemical dependency mm-hmm. on on that emotional mm-hmm. release of that addiction that it was just it's we snap when we don't have it um mm-hmm. in, in the same way perhaps that somebody who has let's say relationship troubles and they they can't meet the person who they want to meet and let's say they turn to food as a sort of emotional crux you know eat eat to make yourself feel happy um you can point to food as being the, the problem, but really it's not the root problem. The root problem is inability to form quality relationships. Exactly. Uh, and, and food is just the, the means of expressing that or, or dealing and coping with it. Um, does that sound like an appropriate analogy to, to what you're saying with, with video games, how some people use video games as a way to escape or to repress or otherwise deal with other much larger frustrations and anxieties that they have? Totally. Um, the one, the one thing I would maybe add to that is that, um, I guess in my belief, it's not so much an inability to find a partner as like an inability to find healthy and stable emotional regulation. Mm. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I think that's totally true. And, um, I can really easily see how sort of looking at that person from the outside, all you see is someone who spends all their time playing video games. And when you ask them about it, they yell at you. Um, that probably looks like someone who's playing video games and getting violent, you know, mm-hmm. and you're not really able to see the like turmoil that's going on inside them. Um, so that's, that's where I think that sort of idea comes from. Mm-hmm. But there probably are also cases of people who, um, play video games and get affirmed, get affirmed in the idea of violence as a conflict resolution. Um, I, you know, I would guess that that happens, but I haven't. I've never seen it myself. Yeah, I have not read the literature either. I I suppose that that does happen, but my instinct tells me that it's, you know, it's not the root cause in many yeah. of these situations. Yeah, the the kid who plays Grand Theft Auto and then decides to go uh, harass someone on the street. Uh, probably has bigger issues going on. Uh, and if they didn't have those issues going on, then just playing Grand Theft Auto would just be some silly game that they played. Right. You aren't going to see a really like emotionally stable, um, got their you know stuff together, really living a really happy, wonderful life kid who also plays video games, go out and you know rob somebody because they did it in Grand Theft Auto. Um, it's going to be someone who uh, is having a really intense life and not getting their needs met. Um, and it's, yeah. So a, a Grand Theft Auto could be a way to, for like for that person who is like on desperation's edge and totally overwhelmed, um, they could see that something works in Grand Theft Auto and try it in reality as sort of like a, a last attempt at getting their needs met and, and finding help, mm-hmm. um, which is really sad. And I'm, 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 I, I so deeply mourn that that situation happens 
Um, but, uh, but I do think it's more because of their life situation than because of the video game. Mm-hmm. Sander, to wrap it up, I want to bring it back to a question that's probably a- another big concern for parents out there, which is um, how did you – it sounds like you're not really into video games anymore. You, you went away from them. You came back and tried them again. You just didn't find them as appealing. Um, did that process work for you uh, completely on your own? Did you have any parental influences or other influences that sort of pointed you in, in that direction? Or did you just completely naturally lose interest in video games? Um, I think, you know, it's a combination. I think um, a lot of it was my own, like, like I was saying, philosophical development. Um, another part of it that's probably more significant than I like to think is... Um, having gone and traveled the world and seeing all the cool things that other people were doing, I had a much higher percentage of my community that was um, engaging in life the way I wanted to, which was going out and being authentic and trying to help people. So I met so many activists and so many travelers who were living this life that I wanted to live. And so suddenly I wasn't dependent on video games as a way to access like community and connection and shared reality with my friends who also played video games. I had this other opportunity to go out and be affirmed by people who also loved travel and adventure. Mm. Uh, I'd like to put a little plug in here for Unschool Adventures. For sure. Send your kids on an international travel adventure and they will discover all the great things about life. All right. End advertising advertising segment. Go ahead. (laughs) Really, though, yeah, that's um, that's it. And uh, well, I think a key thing there is like once you once you have that passion and curiosity and creativity engaged, and you're going out to see you know what the world has to offer. Uh, and then if you also get community around you doing the same thing and supporting you and loving you through that, there's there's just so much room to to grow. And I think another key thing there is that um, similarly, like we were talking about earlier to, to bedtimes and discovering natural consequences, I think um, sort of through my parents not regulating my video games after a certain point, I had the freedom to explore what it was like to dedicate all of my time to video games. And I had the freedom to see the, the reality of that way of living. And then I had the freedom to explore other things. And, and it was all my choice. Um, and so I got to learn from the consequences of, of both of those ways. Mm. I got to try them out um, to, to the fullest. And because I think, in a big part because of that, and also because, you know, my parents and my community offered, especially not back to school camp was a huge part of this. Um, and really affirming that like I had love and I had support no matter what I did, you know, it was, it was unconditional and there were always people who loved me. Um, I could go and explore and, and try this other thing that was way different from the world of video games that I had raised myself in. Um, I could go and find a new world and know that, um, I'd still be supported in doing that. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, are, who you see like still playing video games when they're like in their thirties. Some, a lot of them are 
just loving it and having a great time and, and love playing video games. But some of them who are maybe more in that under the category of like emotional crux, I think a big part of it is being afraid of leaving the only community they know. Mm. Um, yeah. To your first point, Xander, about experiencing the world, uh, I think that that's a great illustration of this principle of uh, if there's something, if you're a parent and your kids are doing something that you're not really into, uh, you know, there's there's two ways to to perhaps shape their their course. The first one is to attempt to restrict or deny um, the thing that you don't really like, like video games, for example. Right. But I feel like that's always going to end up as a battle. It's going to end up as some sort of war uh, between parents and children and or, or lead to resentment. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other way, which is more difficult, but I think a lot more long-lasting, is to provide the opportunity for something better. Uh, for example, I'm sure that you had some mode of parental support uh, when you went off on your bike adventures or you yeah. went internationally traveling. Um, and so to be able to to give someone something better in their life that just shows them like, wow, life is more than just video games, for example, or if, let's say somebody is a total bookworm and all they do is read books. Um, you know, life is more than just what's on a page. Um, you have to provide that positive example to have a really lasting influence on someone's behavior instead of just always trying to, to fight with restrictions. Um, so I, I love that illustration from your own life. Yeah, and I think a key part of that, for me at least, is that um, my parents didn't tell me to stop playing video games and go travel the world. Um, when, I, when I did, they were ready to um, mm. support me in that. But it, yeah. was, it was my choice. And I think that um, there's a, uh, a lovely part of that where um, my influences in going to travel the world were less um, people, not that I really traveled the world, but you know, I did a little bit, um, tiny fraction. There, it was less about people saying that that was a good thing to do, um, though the, that was probably a, a presence. You know, it's a generally... I think a cool idea that a lot of different people have and share. Um, what I think made a huge difference for me was um, going to a place like not back to school camp, where I was exposed to unschoolers. Who these are all people who are so deeply engaged and so passionate about what they're doing, and each of them is passionate about a beautifully unique thing. And so I remember going to sit down back to school camp and meeting, you know, meeting you and meeting, um, Kaylin who'd been on bike tour, uh, and having people not necessarily tell me that their life and what they had done was the best thing to do, but just seeing them and seeing how much I, I loved them as people and just noticing what they had done, um, and having inspiration play the role mm. of mentorship. Yeah. Positive examples, inspiration, and inspiration that's uncoerced and not exactly. kind of shoved in your face. It's like, hey, wouldn't you rather be doing this thing than playing your dumb games? Yeah, that's really, uh, that's really key for me is that sort yeah. of passive inspiration. And I think one other thing I take away from that is, is community and community outside of the nuclear family. Yeah. And being exposed to all these different walks of life 
so that you do have you have options on the table as to how you might want to design your life and how you want to live instead of just taking the the easy default option, which for a lot of people is games. Games are fun. They're engaging. Um, but if that's the only thing you ever see or experience, then yes, maybe that is how you become the, the 20-something or 30-something-year-old who is still – um, you know, really playing a lot of games, but they're not exactly serving him anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. And things like not back to school camp, unschool adventures are really awesome opportunities to get that experience of diverse community coming together in a really passionate and supportive way. Yes. Thank you for the plug. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Xander, this has been wonderful. Anything else that's on your mind that you really want to say about video games? Uh, so we get a complete picture here. You know, I think, I think that ties it up for me. Uh, yeah, game on, and uh, <laughs> game have, on. Have fun being a hero. <laughs> All right, thanks, Xander. Yeah, hope you have a great one. If you enjoyed this ad-free podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can write a review on iTunes. You can share it on social media. You can email it to someone who might benefit from it, or you can support it directly with a per episode donation at offtraillearning.com slash support.